everyone, welcome to Infuse Church Online. My name is Taylor, and I'm glad that you're joining us for the conclusion of our series, In the Meantime. Um, today, we are going to have one of the most challenging talks that we've had in this series so far, and give you a perspective, a tool that you can use to navigate meantime moments, but we also understand that it can be difficult to do this in the, in the midst of meantime moments. So stick around to learn more, as well as to hear Paul's story this morning. Even in the opposition that we may experience, even in the, the suffering we may experience, the, the pain that we may experience, um, whatever the situation may be, is God still there? Does God still care? And is it worth giving God any gratitude in those meantime set of circumstances, which is our series that we are wrapping up today. And it has been a, a kind of a tough series to get through because uh, the topic, topics that we have been covering in this series so far. Um, now, before I get too far into this, I want to give you the disclaimers that I've given you in week one and week two, and I'm going to say them again in week three. That two, And there's two disclaimers. Um, I really just wrapped three into two. But the first one is that before you walk we talk. Before you walk, we talk. Um, because sometimes um, things are discussed in our um, sermon series that can be a little uh, emotional, a little tense, a little tough to process through. And so my ask is that before you may be tempted to walk away from faith or God or the church, that we could just go to coffee, I'll buy, and we just talk it through, not to change your mind, but at least that we can understand so that I think we have a better chance of all together growing and becoming better. And the second thing is that if something gets stirred up into Today's message or in this series, um, maybe you've missed a week and you go back and listen to it, something gets stirred up and you're not sure how to process through that, we have a, a recommended counseling list here in the Iowa City area um, that we would love to give to you. You can send an email to care at infuse.church and we'll send you that list um, because we don't think that there's, the there, there's a negative, we think there's a negative stigma around counseling, um, but counseling is a really, really great avenue to go um, when you need to talk through things um, with a professional. Some Sometimes friends uh, or even family don't quite cut it. So today we're going to jump back into these meantime moments of our life, and we, we define meantime moments of our lives as these moments when we're, or set of circumstances where we're between uh, a better future, at least a hope for a better future, and a better past. When where we are in our life right now or in the past, maybe a, a meantime set of circumstances where we look back or we look forward and everything just looks better than where we are right now. Because meantime moments are kind of undesirable. They may be natural parts of life, but they're not parts of life that we perhaps enjoy. And what makes it difficult to talk about these meantime moments, and some of you have kind of um, indirectly mentioned this to me, but this series, usually my, my messages tend to have a really practical point at the end that you can take and apply to your life and it makes your life better. But this series is not so easy to do that. In fact, today is not probably going to be one of those days where you're like, wow, that was just so extremely helpful and I can apply it tomorrow. You can, but there's a lot of baggage, and I'll explain that in just a second. Um, but, but sometimes um, in, uh, in these situations, they're often um, permanent, or there's some degree of permanency to them. You lost something, and it will always be lost. Or you're suffering through something, and you may have to you know, reflect on that or have that suffering and carry that with you the rest of your life because there's just no way around your experience and what you have gone through. And that makes coming up with really practical, helpful things that you can do in your life right away difficult because these things oftentimes are just not something we can change. And so it makes us 
challenging, or makes this uh, more challenging to talk about. Now, the other thing I want to say for today is that what we're going to talk about, um, and kind of the bottom line for today, is going to be hard to swallow. In fact, for some of you, you may feel like I'm stepping into stories and to parts of your lives that I shouldn't because they're very sensitive and they're very emotional. In fact, the thing that I'm going to kind of share with you today at the end of the message, you may find to be something that just like crazy Christians say. Kind of like, you'll just have faith, and then you're like, but I don't know if I can, if I have that same faith, or if I can understand it the way that you understand it. And, and so it makes it difficult because there feels like there's a gap. And so I just want to acknowledge before we even get there that today may feel like, well, Taylor, I'm just not sure I'm there yet. And if that's you, that is okay. I give you permission to just kind of self-select yourself out today. However, I feel like I would be remiss because I know in, in like Stephanie in my life, um, the losses that we've experienced in ministry and in in our family, um, that I wish I would have had someone at least give me the opportunity to consider what we're going to consider today. It's a different perspective, and it's a different option for you in the midst of meantime moments, okay? So that's the backdrop for today. We're going to jump into the message now. Um, I don't know if you ever noticed this. Uh, I think you probably will recognize it, but you maybe never thought of it this way. But meantime moments, okay, meantime moments generally are made worse when we have momentum going on in our life, when our lives are just happening. And then we experience, we run into a meantime set of circumstances, the unexpected Essentially, the best way I could think about this is, um, like, if you ever try to drive down the Coralville Strip, okay, and you have momentum, like, you hit the first three green lights, you only have, like, 35 more to go, okay, to get to the end, right, to get to Lowe's or, or to get to the university, depending on which way you're going, okay, and then every light you hit from there on is red, and it's like somebody's doing it to you, Right? And you felt like you had momentum, but then every time you start to get going, every time you try to get a little bit more motion to at least get through one more light, you get stopped. And it's frustrating, and it's hard. And so that's why I think when we have uh, a meantime set of circumstances, for example, when we're, you know, playing a game or we're in a tournament and it's going really well, and then we start hitting a series of losses, or maybe in your career, you know, you needed this job, but then it fell through. Or maybe you're in a job, okay, and you have a great boss, and things are just going so well. You love your boss, you love your team, and it's all great. And then your boss leaves, and things just absolutely implode, and you find yourself in a meantime set of circumstances. Or everything's good in your family, right? And then you or somebody else, you know, upsets the bucket somehow, and things just go downhill, and relationships end, and conversations aren't had, and you find yourself in a meantime moment. Or life is just good, you're healthy, and then you get injured, and it completely redefines your life. Maybe for some of you, as, as like Stephanie and I have experienced, you, you know, you're hoping to, to start a family, and you find out that you have lost a child, or you experience a loss of a child, and it's very painful. As momentum is happening, family's starting, it's new, it's exciting, and then in the midst of that, you experience a meantime set of circumstances. Momentum makes it worse, oftentimes at least. Or you watch someone else go through that. Or or just more simply, as I was thinking about this, in simple situations, I mean, just think about the basic tasks you go through in a day. And to lose, as you are walking into the kitchen, to lose your ability 
to walk, to lose your ability to talk, to lose your ability to remember, to think clearly, or to see. Those things we take for granted, imagine if that was you or maybe you can and it's painful, and it's hard, and the momentum in your life makes the meantime moments you're experiencing now or for what, for, forever will experience worse. And so today, I want to at least dive into these meantime moments where there's nothing that we can do and give us a different perspective on it. Now, I shared, I think, in the first um, week of this series that when I'm in a set of circumstances and I don't know a way forward, oftentimes I'll just open up my B-I-B-L-E Bible, and I will look at what Jesus said on the topic. I'll look at what other New Testament writers said on the topic, or I'll just look at the early church in general. And today, that's the story we're going to look at, because the early church had a lot of these sets of circumstances, because the early church, like the first 300 years of the church, they had a lot of momentum, okay? Jesus died, rose again. Anytime you see somebody that died and rose again, you're kind of like, wow, that's, that's pretty incredible. I'm with that guy. Things are going to go well. I mean, if he can, you know, if he says by following him, we can raise back to life after death, it's like, that's pretty cool. So we're not afraid. We're going to do incredible things. And they did for the first 300 years of the church. It was incredible. They loved loved people. They created orphanages. They helped the sick during plagues. It was just, it was just truly awesome. They had momentum, but they were very familiar with meantime moments because they were persecuted. As we've talked about before, there was emperors like Nero who blamed the whole burning of Rome, the city of Rome, on Christians. Or Emperor Diocletian, he began one of the worst persecutions in Christian history, okay? And there's um, so many paintings and artworks to describe this. I, I just brought one along so you can kind of envision it. Maybe you've seen something like this when you're growing up in church. It's right here, and here are the Christians, and they're being, um, they're, everybody's watching them in, in the Colosseum or um, in, in various uh, uh, kind of um, the theat uh, not theatrical, but in these warrior-type battles and gladiator-type situations. And so they would take the Christians out there, and then they'd crucify them to mock Christianity and this idea of Jesus being crucified. And then uh, so often, and this is why people painted these paintings, is Christians would then gather in the midst of and being surrounded by tigers and essentially looking at the end of their life, um, and they would be praying for help, and no help would come. And so in the middle of being mocked, in the middle of being persecuted, in the middle of even praying and not getting a response from God, I think most early Christians would say, we understand what meantime sets of circumstances look like. And one Christian in particular in the early church dealt a lot with meantime sets of circumstances. And so I want to look at this particular Christian and his particular story and what he had to say about his meantime set of circumstances. And the, and the person I'm talking about, you may be familiar with, his name is Paul, the Apostle Paul. And he is um, uh, an incredible, incredible person. He, he was, um, before he became a Christian, he was a, a Jewish Pharisee, so he was kind of in the religious elite, and he persecuted Christians. It was literally his job to torture Christians into um, blaspheming against Jesus, uh, putting uh, Christians in prison, and essentially leading them to their death in many situations. And Paul talked freely about this. And then one day, he was off to go round up a bunch of Christians. He was on a road to Damascus, and he goes through this incredible experience where he has a conversation with Jesus. And three days after that conversation, 
you find Paul preaching about Jesus. You find Paul professing his faith in Jesus and now becoming the one a few days earlier he was hunting. It's an incredible moment. And historians agree that Paul was probably one of the most influential Christians in all of time. He wrote most of the New Testament. Some of you have named your kids after him, or you know kids that are named after Paul, okay? But yet Paul, in this season of his life where he went from not Christian to Christian, and then he started so many churches and he wrote the New Test- or much of the New Testament, he experienced his own meantime set of circumstances. And when he did... I think, as many of us experience, he had a series or went through a series of emotions, some of which I'll put up here that you may be familiar with, being irritated, being mad, being bitter, being cynical, resentful, or envious. And I don't know, but I'm pretty sure Paul was comfortable telling this to God. He even directed some of his frustration, some of his pleading to God, as we'll soon read. Paul was very familiar with meantime set of circumstances. But here's the thing that you know, and here's the thing that Paul knows, is living your life with these emotions, and some of which you can probably add to this list, is not very fun. And there's something just kind of innate in you that says, this is not how my life should go. I should not live with these emotions constantly pestering me or in the darkest parts of my heart, in the darkest parts of my life. And Paul comes into these emotions, into these meantime sets of circumstances, and he says, I don't want you to have to live in this. And so Paul addresses this. Paul actually writes to the church in Corinth, and he addresses the moments when we feel this, when we're hurt, hurting, or about to experience hurt, and he offers us a whole new perspective. And this is how Paul begins, and and this is where, uh, just fair warning, it may get a little uncomfortable, and it may start to dig at parts of your heart, parts of your life, that maybe you have avoided because of the meantime sets of circumstances around them, okay? So we're going to pick up in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Paul said, regarding his, um, his meantime set of circumstances, he said this, in order to keep me from becoming conceited. In order to keep me from... Okay, so Paul is experiencing an affliction. We don't actually even know the affliction. He's going to talk about it here in just a second. We don't know what the affliction is Some of us, um, some historians and some scholars believe it was maybe epilepsy or um, uh, certainly he was losing eyesight or maybe it was um, uh, some form of paralysis or great pain or or something that essentially changed his life considerably. Something something that it was permanent, that was not going to change. Couldn't do anything about it. And Paul said, in the midst of that affliction, he said, in order to keep me conceited, And this is really interesting because Paul taps into something that I think we know is there, but we don't really name it for what it is. That Paul's saying, listen, my life was going pretty well. Work was going really well for me. I was starting to make a difference in people's lives. I was starting to plant churches, and people were listening to me. But I'll be honest with you, Paul would say, I ran the risk of becoming arrogant in my success. 
I started to run the risk of believing that everything I was doing was because of me, and I was a little self-entitled. I was becoming prideful. Instead of saying that God did it, Paul would say, I did it. Or instead of, we did it as a church, Paul may have been more tempted to say, I did it. Instead of, we did it. And what happens in the, the situations when we are dealing with, or there's a little bit of pride in our life, um, or even if there's not, what happens when we introduce meantime moments into our lives, it's almost as if, like, uh, the only thing I can think of, like, last night was like a blood draw. It's almost as if pride begins to just be pulled out of us. We don't even know maybe it's there. Try to hide it, try to avoid it, but in meantime moments, Pride just has this amazing way of just completely flowing out of us. That, let me explain it this way, that when you think of these emotions that we were talking about earlier, irritated and all these things, where is that coming from? Why are you irritated? Why are you mad? Well, Taylor, it's because it hurts. Well, yeah, in in some cases there is pain involved. But oftentimes... I think part of it comes from the fact that this is not our expectations for our life. We did not expect to endure such loss. We, we feel like it is unfair that our boss left. We feel like it is unfair that they left us. We feel like it is unfair that this situation happened. And so therefore, we get upset because it didn't go our way. We didn't get paid what we deserved. We didn't experience the health that we deserved. We weren't getting what we wanted. Yes, even in the meantime sets of our lives. And Paul said, in the midst of this, you have to acknowledge that there is a point at which it transitions from just responding to the shock of a meantime set of circumstances and pride. In other words, that, like if you're familiar with the five stages of grief, the second one is anger, okay? That it is natural that when we grieve, it is natural when we endure meantime sets of circumstances, that we're going to get angry. But at some point, if this continues, these continue, maybe it's more us than anything else. Maybe it's our own expectations. Maybe it's our own, we deserve this. We deserve that. And this is not how we expected it to go. And I realize for some of you, you're going to say, like, Taylor, that is, that's not me. I wouldn't do that. I'll be honest with you. For me, that is my temptation, to go to pride, to go to, you know what, God, I did it well. I worked my tail off to make it work. The least you could do is show up, don't you think? Pride. All over it. And Paul's saying, guess what? That was me too. That's where I would have gone had I not had this affliction. It completely changes what we would say is a negative into perhaps positive. Paul continues and hits at, begins to hit at his main point for this, um, for for this uh, passage. He says, therefore, in order to keep me from being conceited, essentially, this could be a positive, I was given, and this Greek word here, because the New Testament is a translation of Greek, this Greek word here is good, is a good thing. It's like a gift. I was given a gift. What kind of gift were you given, Paul? I was given a thorn, 
in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Wait a second, Paul. You're saying there was like a messenger of Satan like in your flesh, constantly like a slow IV drip of Satan into your life. Paul said, yeah. And it was awful. But it was a gift. You're like, Paul, that is really hard to process. Paul's like, I understand. Hang on. Paul goes on. He says, three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away. Three times I said, God, I need you to take this away. And this is not just like I stopped for like a second on the road and was like, God, could you, could you help me out here? No, no, no. This is like three seasons of life for Paul. For there were weeks, months maybe, where Paul was just getting on his hands uh, and feet and just begging God to take away his meantime set of circumstances. But God didn't. On the third time, Paul heard from God. And Paul said, this is what I heard. My grace, God's grace, is sufficient for you. God's grace is sufficient for me, Paul. Now, this is a really confusing passage for some of us because we don't think grace is something that can give us strength. We don't equate grace to something that will help us endure difficult sets of circumstances. But I want to hopefully maybe give you a different perspective to this. Grace, this thing that is unmerited, that is undeserved, essentially it's undeserved favor. We didn't do anything for it, but yet we are getting favor. It might be easier to, to replace this word with love. I think it's something we're more familiar with in our English vernacular in the 21st century, is to say, my love is sufficient for you, because at one point or another, most of us have experienced some degree of falling in love. And I'm talking like the first three months of falling in love, when there is like fireworks, and it is exciting, okay? Think about that. And everything's going well. It's got to get rid of all the things after that, but think about when it was going really well. And if somebody would have came up to you, or if they would have come up to you, excuse me, if that person that you were falling in love with would have came up to you and said, hey, could you do this for me? But, but I can't offer you, I can't help you out in any way, but could you just do me this huge favor? You would say, you know what? Your love, it's enough for me. <laughs> and it'd be true, wouldn't it? Because there was something about that person loving you, despite your flaws, despite your shortcomings, beside, beside your self-doubt, beside your, your baggage, that made you say, you know what? I'll do whatever they need. Because Why? Their love is sufficient for me. Paul's saying, when I was a Christian, or before I was a Christian, excuse me, I tortured Christians. Before I was a Christian, I put Christians in jail. I ruined families. And yet the God of Christianity sent his son to have a conversation with me. And turned my entire life around because I understood how much God cared for me, Paul, even though I was probably the worst sinner of all. Paul literally says that about himself. I was like the sinner among sinners. I was the worst of the worst. 
And Paul would say, that love gave me strength. That grace, when I didn't deserve it, that love when I didn't deserve it, gave me strength. Even when I suffered the most. Because God purchased my sin, this is what Christians believe, because God purchased my sin, my debt, I can endure just about anything because I know how much He loves me, and I will never, ever forget it. Sometimes, my friends, when you are going through a mean time set of circumstances, isn't it so encouraging if someone just comes along and just, especially out of nowhere, and just says, you know what, I know things are going tough, you haven't heard from me in years, but I just want you to know I'm thinking about you, I love you, and I care for you. And something just happens in here, doesn't it? And it's like, you know what? It might. It just might be okay. I'm not saying I may, like, give into this whole Christian thing, but that encouragement meant a lot. In fact, that encouragement may have made a difference. Then Paul goes on. My grace is sufficient for you for my power. God is saying, my grace is sufficient for you for my power. God's power is made perfect in weakness. And this is something that's a little contradictory for us because in, in, in like um, a co- capitalist society, you know, uh, when we think, you know, if, if you got the brains, if you work hard, you can make it and all this stuff, weakness is not something we generally desire. We don't think of weakness as power. But God does. God, in fact, is really comfortable with weakness. I think in part because he created it. And when he came to earth, at least as Christians, we believe he came to earth in the form of a man. Vulnerable in the form of a baby at first. Vulnerable as vulnerable can get. Weak as weak could get. God is really comfortable working in weakness. In fact, sometimes I think he does his best work. In fact, Paul said that God said God does his best work in our weakness. And if you think back to those Christians that I referenced at the beginning of this whole message, those Christians who endured suffering like you wouldn't believe, pain like you wouldn't believe, persecution like you wouldn't believe, imagine saying when you follow Jesus, that it just doesn't change part of your life. Literally, you may lose your life because you are professing to follow Jesus. It changes the dynamics completely. Yet those Christians changed the world, even though they had no money, they had no influence, they had no standing. The Jews hated them, the Romans hated them, they went after them, they persecuted them, yet 300 years into Christian existence, Christianity became the world religion, and today is the largest religion in the world. And what did it come from? Practically nothing. No money, no power. The central commandment of Christianity is to love God and love your neighbor. If you walk into your boss's office tomorrow and you know what, I think we need to increase sales and the best way we're going to do it is to love God and to love our neighbor, you might get laughed at, depending. Because that's not how we think. But God says, it is how I work. And even in your weakness, even in your meantime set of circumstances, my power will be at its most perfect. At its most. Why? 
And this is the point that Paul is trying to drive at. That there are opportunities in opposition. Paul is saying that even in my affliction, had I not had my affliction, my opposition, I would have been a conceited, prideful, arrogant person. And you would not have been reading my letters 2,000 years from now. Because who wants to read letters or writings of a really prideful, arrogant person? Nobody does. But because I was afflicted, I kept my head a little smaller, and I was able to take this affliction and make it an opportunity. Christians, in, those, in that painting, right? They were able to take their suffering and make it so vivid in people's minds that people would paint pictures of it that we would look at thousands of years. In fact, that picture, what was happening and all the layers that were going on in that essentially defined Christianity for the first few hundred years of Christianity. And it changed people's minds and it changed people's hearts. And there was very little to be said about strength in it. But there was a whole lot to be said about opposition, pain, weakness, hurt, or otherwise what we would describe as a meantime set of circumstances. And that's why Paul said this in the next verse. He said, therefore, I will boast. I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses. Not walk into my office tomorrow morning and just lay it all on the table and freak everybody out. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, though, that there is a time to be honest about the weaknesses I have, the hurts that I have, so that God can work through. So that Christ's power may rest on me, work in my life. His love would fill the dark parts of my heart and my experiences. That Paul could look at a thorn in the side as an opportunity, not an opposition. So that people, when they would look at your meantime set of circumstances, will not see someone hiding or lying, or pretending, but they would see someone who is being honest with their hurt and their pain because they were going to boast that God was working and restoring their lives. And I realize this is difficult to process. So that's why I asked um, Paul, not the Apostle Paul, Paul who attends Infused Church, to share his story. Because I hope that you will hear in Paul's story that even in the midst of lifelong, permanent, meantime situations, there is still opportunity and growth. So check out Paul's story, and then we'll wrap up. My childhood was wonderful, filled with happiness, fun, and fond memories. Life was sweet. But that all changed in 1980, almost 40 years ago, when I was 16. I dove into a swimming pool, hit my head on the bottom, broke my neck and severed my spinal cord. I lost movement and sensation below my chest, in my fingers, and partially in my arms. I prayed and prayed, begging God to fix it, but he didn't. After rehabilitation, I finished high school and went on to the university. My studies went fine. I had incredible love and support, 
and it probably seemed like I was doing okay on the outside, but I was getting bitter on the inside. My spinal cord was not getting fixed, and it seemed like God did not care. God was letting me down. Sophomore year, my roommate invited me to hear an evangelist. I was reluctant, but I went because my bitterness was keeping me away from God. I knew I needed to make things right with him. And I also hoped this evangelist might somehow be able to help me get my spinal cord fixed. As the evangelist was preaching, God worked on my heart. I began to see that I needed more than physical healing. I needed spiritual healing. I needed Jesus. I went up to the front and I committed my life to him. I went all in. Since then, I have followed Jesus and I'm so glad that I have. My body is still not fixed, but that no longer keeps me away from God. My disability has been a terrible hardship to me and to people that I love, but I have come to understand that the cares of this world, no matter how awful, do not compare with what God intends for us in this life and the next. Go to God with your concerns too. You won't be the first. Elijah, the great prophet, once said, I am tired of living, Lord. Take my life. King David asked, How long, O Lord? Will you forget me forever? Even Jesus himself, when he was on the cross, cried, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Be honest about your pain, but don't let it alienate you from God. Be like Job, the ancient Old Testament man of God. In the midst of terrible suffering, when his life was in ruins, he said this about God. Though he slay me, yet will I hope in him. Resist the temptation to be like Job's wife, who told Job to curse God and die. When followers were leaving Jesus, he asked his disciples, you do not want to leave too, do you? Peter replied, Lord, to whom shall we go? I've learned that blaming God and growing bitter is not the way to go. I found peace when I ran to him and began to live in his love. My struggles still remain, but God bears them with me and he puts them in perspective. God gives me what I need and what I need is Jesus. I want to thank Paul uh, for his uh, courage and sharing um, but I also think, um, not just is it awesome that the names match, but um, that Paul would probably say this, which Paul, um, the apostle, said, is that is why, for Christ's sake's sake, I delight in weakness, in insults and hardships and persecution and difficulties, for when I am weak, then I am strong. That despite weakness being ingrained in us as a bad thing, there is opportunity in opposition. That without weakness, there would be no verse 10. Because we wouldn't have heard from Paul. And early Christians wouldn't have succeeded in winning people's hearts. That despite all opposition, people trusted in God, persevered through and created opportunities from even the most challenging, challenging situations.
that God's grace, His love is sufficient for us, especially in our weaknesses. And that has been the case and the core of Christianity for over 2,000 years. For God, there are opportunities in opposition. And God wants that for you. God wants life change for you. He wants growth. He wants relationship with you through His Son, despite the meantime sets of circumstances. That you may struggle, as I know I have. In fact, probably it would be fair to say we all have struggled to believe in a God that would not take away our pain, that would not take away our brokenness, that would not remove the burden, but in the midst of that could give us what we need and create an opportunity out of opposition. Now, I'm not saying you have to accept that. I said that at the beginning because I realize we may be stepping, this may be stepping into some of the most painful parts of your life, but I promise you that that is his hope. And Paul would say through experience that that has been what he experienced. So I don't want to overstep into your life. I don't think Paul necessarily intends to either, but he just wants to share with you the power of God's grace and love in those moments. That we would probably say, you know what, we would rather not go through the meantime sets of circumstances in our lives again, but what we have learned and the impact perhaps we have even been able to make through them, we would also not take away. And that God could even work through the most challenging times in our lives. So if you would, as we close out today's um, message, bow your heads, close your eyes, and uh, pray with me. Heavenly Father, this is... um, a very difficult message to receive. My prayer is, though, for those of us who are ready to experience your love and peace in the midst of those meantime sets of circumstances, that we would decide right now in prayer to accept your love, to let your love for us your sons and your daughters to fill our heart and overwhelm even the darkest parts so that we would recognize your love in the midst of the meantime set of circumstances and that we could experience it in the midst of meantime circumstances. Lord, my prayer for the rest of us who may not be willing to accept that this morning, that we would at least consider the next time that uh, we endure something painful or experience loss, that we would consider what it would look like in the midst of that to accept the love of a God who created us, who has given us so many things, who has sacrificed so much for us, a loving father, parent in heaven, and that that would help us to move through some of the most painful seasons of our lives. Lord, give us the strength, the wisdom, whatever it takes to process through today's message. In your name I pray. Amen.